1: Election College, Episode 266, Theodore Roosevelt, Part 3. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, I bet you that Theodore Roosevelt would have been glad to be a guest on the podcast because let's face it, we're talking to the American people right now. That's right. And uh, you may not even be in America. You may not even be an American. But when it comes to Theodore Roosevelt, hey, He's a really interesting guy. We've talked about how he brought the American Navy into the prominence worldwide. He built up the battleships. He almost passed England up, but of course he didn't. And he made the United States of America a force for peace in Latin America, really making the Monroe Doctrine something that would be carried into the 20th century. And a lot of the things that Theodore Roosevelt implemented and was passionate about during his presidency has been woven into the very DNA of our country. Probably the most visible would be the national park system. Well, we've talked about that, but what we haven't talked about is the election of nineteen oh four. Well, we've talked about the election in nineteen oh four, but you know what I mean. (laughs) So what ends up happening is there is a power struggle after McKinley is off the scene. And the status quo is what Roosevelt does because, you know, if your president was assassinated and you're the vice president, you're kind of obligated in a way This hasn't been carried out perfectly, but you pretty much tried to keep things status quo as much as possible. So he keeps a lot of the cabinet members around and he's looking a lot like McKinley. But then what happens in 1904 is the Republican Party is experiencing this power struggle between the Republican Party chair, Mark Hanna, and Theodore Roosevelt. Now, they're all cooperative and great during Roosevelt's first term, but Hannah says, you know what? It's possible that I might challenge Roosevelt in 1904. And what happens is uh, the other senator from Ohio, Joseph B. Foraker, kind of gets Hannah off the scene. And by the time it's all said and done at the convention, Hannah is endorsing Roosevelt and his tail is between his legs just a little bit.
0: Yeah. So effectively, there's really no competition for Roosevelt as we head into the election. And, you know, he wins the nomination, of course. And after that, he pretty much says he's not going to actively campaign, just like, you know, all those who had come before him, or at least most of those who had come before him. But he was very... I don't know if controlling is the right word but he wanted to control the message that was getting out there through uh, some of the individuals who were promoting that message and you know he had a close relationship with the press so he kind of knew how to manipulate them or maybe not manipulate them but just get to them and in 1904 the democrats nominated alton brooks parker and you don't know his name probably very well which will lead you to believe that he's not going to win Hint, hint. Uh, but <laughs> oh,
1: I see what you're doing there.
0: <laughs> the, uh, the Republicans are under fire because all the Democratic newspapers are saying that they are taking large campaign contributions and pretty much pulling uh, the, the card that Roosevelt might be responsible for this. Now, we know that Roosevelt was really hard on monopolies, and we know Roosevelt would never do anything like that. As a matter of fact, we even know that Roosevelt says there's no corruption, but he also ordered one of his uh, campaign managers to return $100,000 from Standard Oil that gave a campaign contribution. So there was a contribution, but he asked for it to be returned. So basically Roosevelt is said to be accepting corporate donations to make sure that information from the Bureau of Corporations, wouldn't go public. Again, Roosevelt disputes this. And again, Roosevelt comes out on top. He wins 56% of the popular votes, and he wins the Electoral College votes. And Roosevelt says, before he gets inaugurated, look, I am not going to serve another term. Forget about it. Uh, don't even bother trying to... to tempt me for the next election or try to put any cards in my pocket that I don't want there. And uh, of course, after that, the Democrats are still going hard against Roosevelt and saying that these major corporations are pulling the strings. And Roosevelt's just like, no, look, I, I already told you, I don't have another term to gain from this. I am going out on top.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what he does. I mean, he's still pretty young, and he says in 1904 that, hey, people... I'm not going to run for a third term. And I really like this Elihu route. you know, the Secretary of State. I'm going to make sure that he gets elected president in 1908. But what ends up happening is he's ill and he's really not a suitable candidate because of his health. You've got the New York governor who is Charles Evans Hughes, and it looks like he might become the presidential nominee for the Republicans, but Roosevelt's like, no, I really like my Secretary of War, William Howard Taft. Now, if you know anything about Taft, you know that being the president is not necessarily what he wants, and we're going to get more into that well, in about a week or two, but Roosevelt says to Taft after saying, hey, you want to go ahead and become a Supreme Court justice? Why not, buddy? And Taft is like, uh, no, I need to finish things up here in the Philippines. That's a pretty honorable thing for Taft to say. And Roosevelt rewards him by saying, hey, in 1908, Taft, you are the man. And what ends up happening is William Jennings Bryan, the poor guy, uh, he loses for a third time to a <laughs> Republican. Yeah, Taft wins. And I almost said Teddy goes traveling. But no, you have to call him Theodore. Or the Colonel. The Colonel decides to travel. And that's exactly what he does. He's now the elder statesman who really isn't that old. He goes to Africa and Europe and shoots elephants and does all kinds of things that we would see as probably not very cool. His his companions in him, Ben, they trapped approximately eleven and a half thousand animals during his expedition.
0: Yeah, it's kind of insane because we think about Teddy Roosevelt as, sorry, Theodore Roosevelt as this big uh, uh, conservationist, and you would never imagine he'd be one to uh, go hunting. But uh, I think there was probably one sense in which he just loved animals so much that he wanted to have them on his wall. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, nothing against hunting in general, but 11,400 animals in a trip is a lot of animals. Uh, But also... You know, he was concerned about, uh, there was some concern about population control with certain types of animals. You have to imagine that, uh, you, have to, you have to know that of those animals or insects that they, they killed or trapped them. And a lot of those were insects and moles and, and small things. But there were certainly a thousand large animals and 512 of those were big game animals. Um, they killed a bunch of hippopotamuses and elephants and white rhinos and stuff like that. So they sent them back to the Smithsonian, who then sends them out to other places. And of course, Roosevelt takes some heat for this. And he pretty much says, look, I'm only on the hook for this if all the museums are on the hook for this, because I did this for knowledge of everyone. And I'm sure there was some sport involved as well for him. But uh, it's kind of a when you hear about you know, Roosevelt being a big game hunter kind of makes you think wait wasn't he the conservationist and he was but not everybody's views are always consistent and including our own i'm sure
1: so roosevelt he's his own man right he's over there in europe and africa meeting with people and not meeting with some people because he's like nope i'm not gonna go for some of your policies or your viewpoints uh, for instance he refuses a meeting with the pope which you know No matter what your religious views might be, you're probably not going to refuse a meeting with the Pope. (laughs) Well, guess what? Theodore Roosevelt, he says, no, I'm not going to because there's a dispute going on uh, with some Methodists who are active in Rome. The Pope probably didn't like that too much. And Theodore Roosevelt said, hey, why not? They should be able to do what they want to do. Uh, But he does meet with uh, Various and Sundry. I just had to say Sundry because that always comes after Various leaders there in europe he delivers a speech in oslo norway where he's saying hey this uh, whole deal where everybody is building up their arsenal especially uh on the seas uh, we need to limit that the naval armaments out there this could not be a very good thing so he calls for a strengthening of the permanent court of arbitration which leads to a creation of a League of Peace among the powers of the world. He also delivers uh, some lectures at Oxford, and he really takes the role of elder statesman. He doesn't bash anything that's going on, uh, even if he might disagree a bit with the Taft, Taft administration. He goes out, represents America, and comes back in June of 1910.
0: Right, and so when he comes back, there's this whole mess, and there's the idea that maybe he's going to run for president in 1912. Well, he says he's not going to, and so someone else declares their candidacy in June of 1911, and uh, all sorts of things happen. Well, Roosevelt still just continues to criticize Taft, and continues to be hard-nosed about a lot of the things he's doing. Uh, The kicker comes when the Justice Department files an antitrust lawsuit against U.S. Steel in September 1911, and Roosevelt is pretty much humiliated. Uh, he had pretty much been the one who approved the acquisition happening, which you know made it an antitrust issue. And the Justice Department, you know, the very government he was once in charge of, is now saying that's not okay. But Roosevelt is still not really willing to run against Taft, and uh, he says, you know what? I might run in 1916. We'll see what happens. So in 1911, a bunch, uh, so, so that very same year, a bunch of people from Ohio endorsed Roosevelt for the Republican nomination. And I mean, James Garfield's involved, Dan Hanna again is involved. And, you know, this is pretty significant because not only are they prominent leaders, they're also from President Taft's home state. So this matters. And Roosevelt declines and, you know, says he's he's not going to do it. Really, actually, he doesn't say anything, which pretty much means he's not going to do it. And uh, he says, I'm really sorry for Taft. I'm sure he means well, but he means well feebly, and he doesn't know how. He is utterly unfit for leadership, and this is a time when we need leadership. So he basically says, if the people want me to serve, I'm not going to tell them no. And guess what? He says yes. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Roosevelt comes in, and you know, basically, is he's going to be the one who saves the Republican Party. He's going to be the one who saves the American people. And he says, if if they want to give me the nomination, once again, I'm going to say it. I'll, I'll take it. And this is one of the first times where we have the presidential primary. And you know, previously, every you know, the the delegates votes um, in the, the convention and that's how you get the nominees well this is going to be more of what we're used to now with elections happening uh for the primary
1: yeah so this and that happens right you have um roosevelt losing the republican uh, nomination but then uh, he announces that he's going to accept the progressive nomination on a progressive platform and he will fight to the end win or lose and uh He also says my feeling is that Democrats will probably win if they (laughs) nominate a progressive. So guess what? Uh, Taft doesn't win. Roosevelt doesn't win, but we'll get, we'll get to that in just a moment because on October 14th of 1912, Roosevelt is campaigning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he's shot by a saloon keeper and the bullet lodges in his chest. Uh, It goes through his eyeglasses case And goes through the copy of his speech, which is 50 pages long. And yeah, Roosevelt says, hey, I've just been shot. Well, no, he doesn't do that. He says, I'm okay. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) he's not coughing blood or anything like that. And, uh, he delivers his speech. And then after that, he says, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, if you know this, but, uh, I have been shot, but it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. Roosevelt, he survives uh, getting shot. And um, if you go to the Theodore Roosevelt birthplace right now, uh, there it is. The bullet bullet-damaged speech and eyeglasses case. So if you're going to write a speech, make sure it's double spaced and it's 50 pages long. Yeah. it will be fine.
0: Well, he also carried that bullet in, in his chest for the rest of his life. I mean, they did not they didn't take it out. So... It's probably still in there or, you know, whenever he was buried, it was buried with him.
1: Yeah. So as I alluded to and actually just blurted out, Wilson wins. He defeats the Republicans, the bull moose, bull mooses, bull bull moose. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know what? Wilson wouldn't have won. And it, it's weird to think about how much differently America would be right now if wilson wouldn't have been president but that didn't happen and we can't change history so what do you do if you're theodore roosevelt and you don't win a presidential election you go to south america and travel and look around and see what's going on and he suffers a leg wound that's because he jumped into the river trying to prevent two canoes from smashing against the rocks and uh He gets tropical fever, and it resembles malaria, which he had previously contracted uh, while he was in Cuba. And, you know, he's got this bullet lodged in his chest that was never removed, and his health worsens from the infection. And he ends up not being able to walk um, because of this infection in his injured leg. And he's getting chest pains, and he loses over 50 pounds and he's taken off the expedition that he's on. So he ends up cutting his trip short. He says that, you know what? I think I might've not only cut my trip short, but I think this trip might've cut my life short by about 10 years. So he hops on a boat. Well, he doesn't hop on the boat. No, he might've. He, he if he did, that was a mistake. They cart him onto a boat He's back in Washington, D.C. Uh, just a little while later, uh, giving a speech to the National Geo- Geographic Society.
0: So he's back. It's May of 1914, and he is pretty outraged at the Wilson administration and lots of things that have gone wrong, uh, in his opinion, while he was gone. And the progressives want him to make some campaign appearances, and he, he agrees to, and Roosevelt. Is trying to think about himself running for president again, and uh, he thinks, "Yeah, I'll I'll go back to the Republican Party. Forget this progressive party, uh, progressive party, progressive party. Uh, I'm just going to go back to the conservatives, uh, the the real conservatives." Uh, And they're like, "Well, we don't really want you, so no." And the progressives get together with the Republicans and say, "Look, why don't we do a joint nomination?" and the Republicans are like, no, we're going to nominate Charles Evans Hughes. And Roosevelt then says, no, I'm I'm not going to run under any party. I certainly don't think a third party is a good idea. And I really dislike Wilson. So if anybody can beat him, that's great with me. Uh, it ends up Wilson wins the election. And of course, Roosevelt is disappointed, but he encourages a lot of people to go back to the Republican Party at that point. Uh, he continues to be influential and uh, really, uh, uh, you know, an elder statesman uh, during the war and uh, along with President Wilson and continuing to, to fight against some of the policies he disagreed with him until January 5th of 1919. And Roosevelt was uh, suffering some breathing problems and uh, he went to bed and passed away sometime between 4 o'clock and 4.15 a.m. And they think that he passed away after a, a blood clot traveled to his lungs. And he's about 60 years old at this point. And whenever his son finds out uh, that his father has died, he sends a telegraph to his siblings and says the old lion is dead. And it's he was pretty well respected. You know, lots of people knew that he passed away. Lots of people had kind words to say. Even President Wilson's vice president, Thomas Marshall, says that death had to take Roosevelt sleeping for if he had been awake, there would have been a fight. And when I think about Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, and I look at his uh, picture and uh, I look at him and think, yeah, that's a guy I wouldn't want to scrap with just (laughs) because he looks, he always looked like a feisty guy to me. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's probably because of that whole upbringing he had, you know, he had to overcome a lot and he was a feisty guy. He was somebody who you wouldn't want to, you know, be in a dark alley on a wrong night with, uh, the fist of Theodore Roosevelt, um, being on that other end of that fist. And so, um, he definitely, uh, was driven, um, through some of the physical ailments that he had So Theodore Roosevelt, probably one of the most popular Republican presidents in the history of our country, uh, considering that you've got people like Abraham Lincoln and uh, Ronald Reagan and others, Theodore Roosevelt, he's right up there. Definitely.
0: And speaking of up there, he's on Mount Rushmore, too. There are only five, no, four presidents on Mount Rushmore, and uh, he's one of them, so calvin coolidge as president made that happen and so yeah president theodore roosevelt don't call him teddy he is a mammoth of a man and a mammoth of a president that we yeah we had to give him three episodes which has never happened uh for any president any one single person never got three episodes all to themselves so you're welcome theodore the colonel
1: yeah so speaking of colonels and mayors and other (laughs) politician and uh, politically inclined people. uh, We would love if you would show your support for election college. And if you would do so, we would really appreciate it. If you go over to iTunes right now, it's going to take 38.6 seconds, uh, depending on your internet speed uh, to leave a rating and review. We really would appreciate
0: that definitely and go ahead and interact with us on twitter we really enjoy that uh if you want to just shoot us a message say you enjoyed the show or hey maybe we messed something up and you want to tell us about that too we can take it we appreciate it if you go to election college on twitter and say hey
1: yeah and we'll see you next time